getting harder to tell the guys in the worship band apart. It's David, David, and Davis, the three guys up here today. <laughs> Davis is on bass, and then, you know, David and David. Uh, a lot of Ds. Well, glad to be back with you this morning uh, in our series, The Coming Light. Do you believe, if I ask this question, do you believe that the most important thing happening in the world right now is this? Think about that. The most important thing happening in the world right now is the church gathering on around, around the world on the Lord's Day to worship Him, to come under His Word, to be together this Advent season. Do you come expectantly this morning thinking that, understanding that, knowing that, believing that, that this is the most important thing happening right now, not only here, but around the world as the church gathers? I hope so, because it is. And so that means what we do with God's Word matters too and is very important as we come back to this this series, The Coming Light, and back to John's Gospel, the Gospel of Belief, you might call it. We've been doing, it's our third week where we'll, we'll take a passage from the Gospel of John. It's the Gospel of the Belief. It's one of the largest themes in the Gospel of John. Believe in Jesus. Believe in His name. Believe in His work. It's said about a hundred times, actually, in the Gospel of John. Believe. But you remember last week we talked about the need to be careful when we talk about our belief or our faith. That our culture loves actually faith and belief. They do. That's actually a, an okay thing. But for the sake of faith and, 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 and belief. So have faith in faith. Or just you just got to believe in, in something. doesn't matter what or who you believe in. You just got to believe. Just believe to give your life meaning. Maybe it's even, hey, you just got to believe in, in yourself. Believe in yourself. Well, the Christmas story doesn't let us off that easy uh, with a, a popular kind of mantra of our culture, believe in yourself. John's gospel of believe, mentioned over 100 times, doesn't let us off so easy. What you believe in, the object of your belief, the object of your faith, sets a course, a trajectory you might call it, for your life. And your actions. So if you're told, just believe in yourself. Many kids who grew up in the last, past 30 years, even like myself, that self-esteem gospel, and you take that to heart, it's no surprise we live in an age of moral relativism, is it? Believe in yourself. I, I believe in me and my view of right and wrong. It's no surprise we live in an age where there's a, a suspicion of uh, institutions. Why should I believe what they say? I believe in me. Or the saddest effect, what happens when you fail you if your belief is just in yourself. And you don't live up even to your own expectations or beliefs about yourself. Your life falls apart if you believe just in you and you're devastated. But, but I believed in myself. Look what happened. It's one of the reasons Christianity is so freeing. So freeing. We believe in Jesus, the coming light who was born in a manger 2,000 years ago. And John's claims this morning, as we look at John 1, John's claims this morning in this passage make the story of a baby in the manger all the more fantastic and all the more amazing. Some verses you've heard probably many times in John 1. Absolutely astounding. 
I, I love this picture that's coming up for you here on the screen. I love this picture. It's a friend of mine actually there in the, uh, the bottom there who I know. But it's a picture from uh, 1974. I love the cool mutton chops. I mean, you can kind of see him up there. Yeah, he's got them though. 1974. He's riding on a bus. And he's returning to the United States after a couple weeks away in Canada. And for the first time being away for a few weeks, we used to get our news through this thing called the newspaper. That's where we used to get our news. He's reading a newspaper there for the first time seeing some headlines that he hadn't seen in, in weeks, any American headlines. I love the kid over his shoulder. They're just intently focused on this headline. 1974, anybody want to take a guess what it was? It was a big one that year. I heard it. Nixon resigns. Yeah, they're looking at Nixon resigns. And the, I, you can see they're intently staring, that laser beam focused about that big headline. All of us can remember, can't you? We first heard the news of some big event, whether it was Nixon resigning. When you read that headline, it's usually bad news, isn't it? Here was another one. Some of you probably remember where you were. Or more recently, 9-11. You remember these things, these big headlines that pop out. You know where you were when you read that headline. So such big news. This morning we're going to look at some news that would have read, and I hope today reads for you like the best headline ever. It's giant news. Big, gospel, explosive, big news from Christ, from John and his gospel. And if they had newspapers in their day, or... Now I guess it's mostly, how many mostly get your news through a cell phone now? I'm just curious. Curious? A few? Online, computers, some, we still get the, Canby paper comes Wednesday. We get it once a week. We've still got one. We've still got a newspaper. It's good news. Um, and I hope these, these big headlines we look at today read like good news for you as we've reached the halfway point of this series, The Coming Light. So we're going to look to this powerful opening of John's Gospel. As I said, it reads like a staggering newspaper headline, and it's going to show us a picture of Jesus, a picture of Christ, God in flesh, creator of all things, and the victorious light. This Sunday we're going to look at four, four amazing, earth-shaking, you might say, headlines to learn who Jesus is, and why he came to earth. Who Jesus is, we're going to answer, and why he came to earth. So hopefully you got your outline open. I saw somebody that had it open 10 minutes for a service. I was like, yes, they're ready to go. They're ready to go. So hopefully you got yours open, your Bible as well, to John 1, as we look to see first who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? Maybe you'd answer that this morning. A good teacher, or, or others would answer. A prophet, a revolutionary guy, or maybe a misguided sage, or maybe you would answer Messiah this morning. Maybe you would answer Savior this morning. Well, let's let the text of God's Word tell us. Remember, we say God speaks when we open His Word, and when we open His Word, God speaks. Is The first headline we're going to see this morning is this. Jesus was, He was in the beginning. Jesus was in, in the beginning. As I open to John myself, John chapter 1, these first couple verses of John chapter 1 are a couple of the most densely packed verses in all of the Bible. In all of the Bible, there's not any, really any other place that's more densely packed than this. Uh, let's hear from John 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
Well, wait a minute, you might see, hear those verses and you say, how do we even know who this is about? Who is this word? Who is this uh, guy? Who is this he we're talking about? He was in the beginning. The word was in the beginning. The word was with God. Who is he? It's good to know that because John says a lot of important things about him. Well, let's take a look. John lets us know. A few verses down in verse 14, he says this. And the word, there it is, that word, became flesh. And he dwelt, he lived among us. And we've seen his glory. John's saying we've seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son, here it is, from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word is the one who was born at Christmas, took on flesh. The coming light we've been calling Him throughout this series. The Son, uh, John 1.14 says, the Son from the Father God. And John says, He, he came here. He, he dwelt among us. He lived on our streets. He walked by us. He shared meals with us. He walked here. We saw Him with our own eyes. We saw His glory. And the passage, just so we're clear, goes on a few verses later. In verse 17, if you got it open, you can look at it. It says, grace and truth came through Jesus. And there it is. That's who we're talking about. That's who John 1 is about. It's, it's Jesus. The Word here. He's called the Word. Jesus is the one these verses are describing. Well, John starts verse 1 with these amazing words that should, I hope, I hope they ring a bell for you as you hear these words. Even if you've only read the very first verse of the Bible, you've never read anything else, these words, in the beginning, what does John want us to think of? Yeah, back, Genesis. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's like here we get to the Gospel of John. It's like this fresh start in the beginning. In the beginning. And your mind hopefully goes right away. Oh, Genesis. Oh, the God who created. In the beginning, God created heavens and earth. And you go, all right, John, what are you doing here? This sounds like Genesis. In the beginning. What does John want us to think of? This fresh start. Or actually, really what it says in the text in the original, it just says, in beginning. The the is not even there. It just says, in beginning was the Word. In beginning was the Word. And verse 2 goes on to say, He was in the beginning with God. I want to ask a question for us. Think back in your mind. What is your, as you go back in your history of your life, what is your earliest memory? What's the earliest memory you can think of as you go back in your mind i'm grateful i'm so grateful for mine my earliest memory that i have i'm the oldest of all the, the cousins on my dad's side and i'm the only one then therefore whoever knew my grandfather on my dad's side he died when i was about three years old and my earliest memory of him is him taking me to a, a, a drive-through car wash at three and yes i was in the front seat and yes, not in a car seat. Just, you know, that was what we did back then. And he took me through one of those drive-through car washes. And I remember uh, the brushes and the water whooshing in on the car, on the windows. The water pelting the windows and sitting next to him there in that front seat of the car. And he died a short time after that. But it's my earliest memory and I'm so grateful for it. What's yours? Think back in your mind now way back. So for some of us, it's farther back than others, right? But we all have one. And now I want you to think back to all the people that have lived. 
and all the generations that have come before us, that each of them had a first memory too that they could have thought back on. A beginning, you might say. A beginning of their conscious memory. Their beginning when they start to think and remember things. Their first memories. Well, John here says the word Jesus Christ goes back way back into the corridors of time to before time is what he's saying. Whatever the furthest point back that any of us in this room can remember, it's infinitely further back when he says, in beginning was the Word. John's saying the Word has existed forever. Forever. Go back to when there was nothing but God before God made the world out of nothing, before time, and Jesus was there. It's powerful. That's a staggering headline, isn't it? The one that they saw face to face. Jesus was in the beginning. John is saying Jesus is eternal. He's eternal. In beginning. Not just one of a few different beginnings or one of many. No, no, he's saying in beginning was the Word. In beginning was Jesus. And who is eternal but God? God. It means the one who came as a baby has existed forever. You you could hold him in your hands. Think about that. The one who existed forever was at one time able to be held like this. Just like that. That's staggering. Existed forever. The one who existed forever could be held like this and needed the milk of his mother to survive. Think about that. The one who existed forever said, I'm going to place myself in a body that needs a mother's milk. That's a staggering headline. He's always been. It's not as if Jesus popped on the scene at his birth and as he began to have those first memories, he thought, well, I better figure out why am I here? You know, why, why did I come here? What am I here for? No, in beginning was the word. Jesus was in the beginning. It's our first headline. Here's our second one. Our first one was Jesus is in the beginning. In beginning was the Word. Jesus, the Word, was with God and is God. John wants us to see the second of our four headlines this morning. Jesus, the Word, was with God and is God. Why is Jesus called the Word? Kind of strange, isn't it? The Word was in the beginning. Why don't you just say Jesus was in the beginning and in the beginning was Jesus and Jesus was in the beginning. He starts with Word and then we get, we get to later on that, oh, they're talking about Jesus here. Why does he call him the Word? When the baby was born in the manger, what, what's his purpose? This idea, this name of the Word tells us that. Why he came to earth. What, what's he here for? John throws with this title, the Word, a light brighter than even the sun, you might say, a glaring headline that would have popped into the culture, the Word? Jesus is the the Word? At that time when he calls him the Word. It's this term, it's really, in the Greek it's this term logos. Maybe you've heard that word before. Logos. It's kind of a, a technological, it's really, if it go back in history, it's really a philosophical word when he says, in the beginning was the logos, is what he's saying. But I want us to, I want us to understand and grasp it, even though you hear like, oh, philosophy and technical, hey, maybe thinking, Ugh. but I want us, because there's really something special about it, if we can understand what John is saying here. 
I just recently um, bought a treadmill. Wanted to start moving my body again, actually. And so we got a treadmill. And those come not put together. Um, you, you would hope it would come in a giant box like this big. No, it's like, my treadmill's in there? That doesn't, sound, doesn't look right. Well, it came, and, and, and I needed to put it together uh, to know how to use it properly, to put it together. And it came with an instruction booklet right, that showed me, that came and said, well, here's how you put it together. Here's the parts. Here's the pieces. And here's how it operates. Here's the manual. The manual for that treadmill, it's kind of like the Logos for that treadmill. What's it for? How does it work? How do you put it together? What are the parts and, and, and pieces? How do you use it? So it can be what it's meant to be, a treadmill. The logos of that treadmill came in that manual for me. Now, if you came into my garage after I had this thing set up and you saw me lying stomach down on my treadmill going like this, and it was turned off. It couldn't be on. I couldn't do that. But let's say you came in and you saw me asking, what's the first thing you'd say? Well, first you'd say, he's crazy. Then you'd say, you know, what are you doing? I'm just going for a swim on my treadmill, right? You, you would, you'd say, I'm crazy. But you'd, you'd look and say, he doesn't understand that thing. He does not understand the logos of that treadmill. He does not get what that thing is designed for. What's its purpose? How do you use it? If you saw me, I was going to get down, on, I'm not going to, Lay, <laughs> swimming on my treadmill. Sw you be, that's crazy. He doesn't get the logos of that thing. He doesn't get it. Philosophers for ages were trying to say and figure out, what's the logos of this world? Why are we here? Where's the manual? What's our purpose? But they just came up with over time and centuries and centuries these concepts, these theories, these impersonal concepts, you right, might say. The manual, so to speak. They wanted to know, what's the logos of this world? So that I can live in the right way. So I can know why I'm here. So that we can flourish as people in this strange place on earth. They came up with theory after theory after theory that were absolutely impersonable. And then John comes and says, the Logos isn't a theory, it's a person. It's a person. The Logos of this world, it's not some cold, impersonal philosophy. It's a person. It comes in Jesus Christ. Meaning, purpose, what binds it together, what ties it all together is a person. A person. And He will show you God. He will reveal God. And He will save you absolutely. What's reality? What's purpose? What's meaning for your life? What, what makes life worth living? Why are we here? You know, God could have just, He could have just given us some cold principles or some theory or, or theory after theory after theory or a bunch of rules, but He didn't. He gave us a person. That's what Christmas is all about. The coming light, the Logos, was a person. A person. The Word. Here's a couple of verses to help us flesh this out, a little more of this idea. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, Hebrews says, God spoke words, word, to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son. 
whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Jesus, the Logos, He's like divine speech from God. He will show us God. He will speak for God. He will tell you why you're here. He'll give you purpose for your life. He'll give you meaning. Though that's what's packed into the Word. The Word became flesh. He's the final spokesperson, you might say, to set us straight. Or here's one more. John 1.18 No one has ever seen God. This is at the end of our passage. We read this, or we read this morning. The only God who's at the Father's side, He has made Him known. He has made Him known. Hmm, that verse is one of those ones that kind of make you, hmm, that's interesting. Kind of scratch your head kind of verse. No one's ever seen God. The only God who's at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Jesus is the revealer of God. And He is God. What we're getting at here in this verse, what this whole passage is getting at here is something called the Trinity. The Trinity. This idea. There's only one God. One God. But wait, another person of God, Jesus, has made Him known. The Logos. The God-declarer. Who is God. Who, who was with God before eternity. It's the rest of point number two, really. He was with God and He, he is God. That's what the end of verse 1 even claims. A separate person, now, who was with God and is God. That's how we get one God in three persons. He's the coming light. And He becomes a baby in a manger. Okay, you might hear all of this and you might be thinking, alright, it's beautiful. It's grand. I get it. It's these big ideas. It's kind of heady, philosophical stuff. What does this have to do with my Christmas stress? Right? My failing marriage. What does it have to do with my life? The constant anger I feel. I just can't get away from it. That anger, I just keep, it just keeps coming out. The one who John just revealed to us and you this morning is the Logos. It's this story of Christmas now. This big story that we're all part of. And His life and His death and His resurrection tells us you need Him. Not just to be saved, but you need Him every day. That's what this is about. When He says He is the Word. But just like, uh, just like the treadmill, the treadmill, treadmill manual, I, you know, if I was swimming on it rather than running, I had no clue what the Logos was. How well do you know the Logos? How well do you know Him? Love Him. Understand Him. Hunger for His grace and mercy. And, and go to the depths of His grace and mercy. So how, here's the question. How often do you go to the Gospels to find Him? Or go to Scripture to find Him? How often do I spend time with Him? I can't expect to know right the, 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 what the purpose of my treadmill is I spend time in that manual and spend time on it and pushing all the buttons and, and getting to know it. Why would it be any different with our relationship with Christ? If I don't spend time with Him, I'm not going to know Him very deeply. I'm not going to come to be transformed by Him, changed by Him, interrupted by Him in my daily you know, ongoing routine, routine, life, life, life. Let Him interrupt your life by spending time with Him. That's what this means if He's truly the Logos. Change. 
growth, your transformation, all of that can't happen without that. It can't happen without that. Your stress, maybe a failing marriage, your lack of joy, your anger, it has to do with, first and foremost, your, my relationship with Christ. It does. It does. Because our sin nature tells us, though, the problem's with everybody else, doesn't it? The problem's outside of me. It's those crazy shoppers in line, isn't it? Or on the road, where you try, I just got to get there, right? It's always them. Or my spouse. Or somebody else. The, pri- the problem couldn't, could it? Could the primary, could it be me? Not with me. Do you want to know where you're going? How you got here? What God wants to do in your life? How he wants to change you? You've got to know God in Christ because he's the Logos. He's the Word. That's how this is connected to your real life. That's how this is connected to my real life. That's what Christmas is, if anything. It's the Word coming to show you, let me show you why you're here and what this life is about. It's not just everyone else who needs a Savior. You and I do. Every day. It's our first two headlines. Jesus was in the beginning. Jesus is the Word with God and is God. And just in case you weren't sure that Christ is God, John throws in this third headline, and it's the final answer to our question, who is Jesus this morning? Here's the third one. Jesus is the Creator too. The Maker of all things. He's the Creator of all things, John wants us to see. Verse 3 says this, all things were made through Him. And without Him, Not anything made that was made. God made, John is saying, everything through Jesus. He made all things, the verse says. How many times have you heard your child or your grandchild come home and say to you and show you one of their projects that they made, look what I made. Look what I made. I made it at school today, or uh, I made this for you, Grandma. And they bring it, I made this. And we say, oh, that's, that's nice. You, you made a really nice drawing. Or sometimes we say, can you explain what that is to me? <laughs> Instead of, what is that, right? When they come and they say, look what I made. We understand. It's kind of like, like they're saying, actually, look what I created. Look what I made. And John even uses that word, all things were made. Now we understand what our kids say when they come and they say, look what I made, or Look what I created. We get that. But in reality, there is no one who's ever existed who's ever truly, really created something. Created something. But God. All things out of nothing. Jesus is the one, John says, who created, made all things. All things were made through him. Well, what do we do? We actually take what he has made and created and we sort of mold and, and shape it. That's kind of what we do. Any farmer can tell you that, can't they? Any farmer can tell you they dig the dirt, but they didn't make the dirt, did they? 
They plant the seed, but they didn't make the seed, did they? They water the crop, but they didn't make the water. The sun shines on it and nourishes it, but they didn't make the sun. It springs up out of the ground miraculously, but they didn't create it and make it, did they? No. Only God truly creates, makes something. Now, humanity is made, as we say made, you know, has made some incredible things. The wheel, the printing press, the car, the personal computer, Oreos, things like that. Right? <laughs> We've made some good things. We've made. But really what we're doing is taking and shaping and molding what God truly created and made. Or we've discovered, you might say, we've discovered some good things, amazing things. The Americas, new species, penicillin, right? Things that we need. The purpose of that little thing that hangs in the back of your throat. I don't know what that is, but I'm sure somebody's discovered it. Things we've discovered and made. All kinds of little things. But try to materialize even a tiny speck of dust even with your words. A tiny speck of dust even. The point is, we made a lot of things, have made, have made things and discovered things, but we've never truly, actually created anything. All things, John says, were made, created through him. And here's what that means. Jesus wasn't created either. As some religions that even would claim the name of Christ say that Jesus was a made being. Maybe the first of beings or the best of beings that God made. John does not allow us to even go there. All things were made through Him. That means He wasn't created either. The Father didn't create Jesus. He didn't make Jesus. Jesus wasn't created. He created and therefore is God. And I love how John says all things. He doesn't just say generally, oh, Jesus just made made." made the world. He says all things because he wants us to know too that that means you and you and you and you and you and not only you but even down to the tiniest molecule of who you are came from his hand. The tiniest detail of who you are God made through Jesus. He made all things, each individual thing, not just in mass, from the smallest particle Think about this, to the expanses of the galaxies now. We thought back in memory. Think out in space and distance now. That Jesus is the one who made that. That's what John's saying. He created it. He made that. It means this too. Jesus is all-powerful then. If he made all of that, nothing is outside of his control then. If he made it, every inch of it that goes on, we don't know how far he made I love this quote. There's not a square inch in the whole domain of our, of your human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. And that means if you're one of His, He knows you intimately and He says, mine. I know you. I came to earth to show you. You are mine. I made you. So what are you fretting over this Christmas season? What do you worried about he made it who are you worried about this christmas season who are you fretting over and worried about he made them too they're his he made them and yet the one who made the galaxies humbled himself remember again was able to be held at one time with two hands two hands took on a body think about that the creator becomes part of his creation at christmas that's the coming light 
It's a staggering headline. The one who molded Saturn and Jupiter can share a smile with you someday. That's amazing. The one who molded the planets and the earth can someday put his hand on your shoulder someday. And he will. Because you're his. He says, mine. I made you. So that is the who that John shows us. Who is Jesus? These first three headlines. That's the who. Who is Jesus? But why? We've got our in the beginning, the word with God, is God, and creator. But now the why. Why Jesus came. Why? It's important. We know who, but, but why? I'm a really firm believer in the why. Getting behind something, its purpose, uh, the existence, the reason for something, the why, you might call it. And John gives us the why. Look at verse 4 and 5. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's our fourth and final headline today. Why? Jesus came to bring life, light, and ultimately, victory. Victory. Jesus has come to bring us life, these verses say. In fact, in Him is life. Not just physical life, but spiritual life too. Do you remember back to our story with John and Nicodemus? I guess it was last week? Yeah. Uh, uh, last week, John and Nicodemus, where Jesus said, the only way to see the kingdom of God is to what? Do you remember? Be born again. Be born again. Do you remember? He said, be born again. Without Jesus coming, why did he come to give us this spiritual life? Our spiritual state, you and I, as we come to earth, is like a dead corpse. It's like a dead corpse. I know it's kind of dark. It's kind of macabre to be talking about this at Christmas time. But that's what Jesus is saying in John 3, and that's kind of what we're getting at here with the life that he brings. We don't really have, some do, but op have open casket funerals anymore. And I know, as I said, it's kind of dark thing to talk about. But when we pass away, the, the body we leave behind, that someday will be resurrected, but the body we leave behind, that lifeless body, it's really a picture of our spiritual state. When we are born, physically, for the first time. The Bible says it. It uses these words, we're dead in sin. The Bible says that. We are, we're dead in sin. I know it's a somber thing to talk about. But the baby in the manger doesn't really begin to mean that much to you unless you begin to see that the, the, the sweet picture of Christ in the manger, which it is, and how cute the nativity is in my living room, and it is, is also a life-giving warrior savior who came to defeat death. That's why I want to talk even as hard and kind of dark as it is at Christmas time, because Christmas pops off the page and pops out of the manger when you begin to see you and I were born spiritually dead. It's this really big story that God is doing. We're dead. Or the Bible puts it another way. You and I, we come to earth with hearts of, of stone, the Bible says. Uh, an engine without spark plugs, a fireplace without a fire in it, however you want to describe it, that's how we come. Colossians verifies this for us. 
And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive. God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Why did He come? To give us spiritual life. To bring you back in heart and soul, back from the dead, so to speak. To give you life. Eternal, you might even say. And light. And the life that was in Him was the light of men, John says. It's been our theme throughout this entire, entire series, these entire three weeks. The image of light. It really is synonymous with life. This light, they're together, that Christ came to invade our world. He came as a warrior to invade this dark planet with His life, with His, with his light, with His truth, with the Logos, with reality. Reality lay in that manger. That's why He came. That's why He came. And the reality is unless you today, unless you today are walking in relationship with Him by faith, the Bible makes it clear, you are like somebody still walking in darkness. You ever try to do that? I'm notorious for getting up in the middle of the night and then Robin goes, what was that noise? That was just me bumping into something or other. You've done that, try to walk in the dark. It's not, it's not a pretty picture, is it? Well, think of walking in spiritual, eternal darkness. That's what we're getting at here. Groping around. Feeling your way around. Still alienated from God and your sin. And you might not even realize it. You're like somebody trying to swim on a what? Treadmill in this earth. In fact, it actually is the kind of darkness you don't really even realize that you're in. But if today you're starting to realize that, we're starting to think that way, maybe in a fresh way that you haven't thought in a long time. And you have a sense that this is what your heart desires to know this Jesus. And to know why He came. To finally live as you were created. The Logos. Here's a prayer that could help you express what might be reality in your heart today. The prayer itself is not magic. The speaking of the words don't save you. God saves you. And yet He desires we express our real faith in Him when He does a work in our hearts. And you might, it might sound like this for you today. Heavenly Father, I come to You today seeing my need of You for the first time. My heart's desire is to be restored to You. My Maker, my Redeemer, my Savior, that means. Thank You for sending Jesus, the light of the world, for me to live and die for me. Help me trust in Him in faith. I believe that He paid a penalty for my sins I can never pay, and I want that to be mine. Help me trust in Him. Repentance and faith. Shine Your light of truth on me. Maybe that would be yours today for the first time. It might. I pray it is. Maybe for you, it's coming fresh to you today what Christ is and what He means today for you. Believe that. But if we stopped there, we would miss the final headline. The very final headline. Take a look at verse uh, 5 again. The biggest headline. What is it? Victory. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. It's victory. Now the enemy... Satan must have been, I think, maybe ecstatic when the light was born. When Jesus came to earth. 
When the Word became flesh, He probably thought, now is our chance to destroy Him. Now is our season of victory. God's made a misstep here. I never thought He would have. I would never have thought He would have made this misstep, but look what He did. Christ took on a body. Let's go. Let's get Him. Let's go after Him now. God made a misstep. And you look at this verse and you say, not at all. Not at all. While John begins with the light coming down, Jesus becoming a baby in his manger, what does he end his gospel with and what does everybody else end their gospel with? Remember? A resurrection. A resurrection. And that's what he's describing here. The darkness really wanted to overcome this light. The darkness really wanted to defeat this light, snuff it out, cover it up, whatever they could do. Light, truth, reality, John is saying here, resurrection prevailed. The light prevailed. The darkness actually ran out of schemes. They ran out of plans. They tried all kinds of things. Satan thought plan after plan, theory after theory, attempt after attempt as he tried to figure out his own logos. Why am I here? What's my purpose to cover up the light? And he ran out of schemes at the resurrection. There was nothing left for him to try. And that's what John is saying. The darkness tried to overcome the light, but the light has overcome. It's past tense. It's happened. That's what Christmas is about today. The coming light has come. He is the light of the world that will never go out. Never. Are you following that light today? I hope so, because it makes Christmas Christmas, doesn't it? What is it without that? It can be some nice things and some gift giving and family time and sharing of love, but without the light, what is it? But he has come and he has resurrected. And I hope these four headlines today have caught you in a way maybe that they never have this Christmas season. Let's pray. Christ, you are the light that will never go out. You are the purpose, the meaning of this world. The Logos, John called you. The reason for our existence. The one who brings us back to God. And yet you are God. It's mind-blowing. I pray as we think this Christmas season about the baby in the manger, that we would think about the fact that He's the one that also made Saturn and Jupiter. Made the expanses of heaven. Made our tiny little bodies and knows every little atom even inside us and the history of every cell in our body. That's Jesus Christ. And so yes, let us come personally and intimately and sweetly to the manger this Christmas season. But let us remember and be reminded that Jesus didn't stay there. He grew in His mission. He grew in wisdom. He grew in stature. He grew as a man to die on the cross for us and be buried. In the same way Jesus didn't stay in the manger, we also don't, Christ, want to leave you in the grave. And remember today that this coming light means victory. It's victory today. So whatever's going on in our life, whatever hardship happens this Christmas time, the Logos knows He has suffered too, and yet He has risen from the dead. And someday the spiritual life you've given us will be mirrored in our new physical life when you give us new bodies someday. That's Christmas. That's the big story of the coming light. Let it not be lost on us this Christmas season. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.